Amen. Uh, y'all give it up to the Lord. That was, uh, that really blessed me there. And uh, thankful to the Lord for y'all's, uh, y'all's gifts that God has given and leading us today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are victorious. Death uh, did not hold you. It will not hold us. We have you. May we um, not just know that, live that uh, for others to see. Thank you for all those that are here. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Have a seat. Get comfortable. Thank you, uh, worship team, again for leading us. Uh, I want you to turn to two passages today, one of the old, one of the new. The old is 1 Samuel chapter 28. The new is 1 Corinthians 9. We will be in 1 Samuel 28 first, and then we will be in 1 Corinthians 9 later, so you can mark that. Uh, A couple things real quick. Uh, First, how that song just was ministering to me, you know, I've, I've thought a lot uh, over, the, uh, over the last, I mean, years about death, not to be morbid, but had loved ones die, and also loved ones who were, are, you know, getting up there in age, you know, not saying any names here, or, but in my family, I have loved ones who are, who are getting up there, and, uh, you know, we talk about now, um, we talk about death, you know, like it's a real reality. It's a reality for, for all of us, but, but we talk about that. And, and then also knowing loved ones who have cancer, I hate cancer. Who hates cancer? Say amen. I hate cancer, yeah. And I am going to be talking actually specifically about cancer next Sunday. I've been thinking and praying about this sermon. It's not on cancer, but it, cancer plays a big role. And so I've had loved ones taken from me far too soon, in my opinion, although I do believe God's power and providence is, is sovereign. I think, I, I totally believe if, if your work on earth is done, God calls you home. I know for me, you know, as Paul wrote, I would much rather be in heaven with the Lord than here. So when my work is done, Jesus, take me home, okay? This is not heaven. It was not meant to be heaven. One of the big sins is we try to create heaven on earth uh, through uh, different gifts God's given us. Uh, It could be family, it could be uh, resources, it could be uh, homes and land, but this is not heaven. And so I do believe, and my mom and I have actually debated this because we've had loved ones gone too soon, and I said, Mama, I looked through the Bible, I I really believe that if your work on earth is done, God calls you home because he's all-powerful. And she says, well, I believe that too, but I'm going to still ask God why when I get to heaven. And and I may as well, because there there are a lot of mysteries that, that we don't. Uh, fully understand with our finite minds, with our creative minds. However, Jesus is victorious, we just saying, death uh, did not hold him, it will not hold us. Now, uh, so that ministered to me, I hope it ministered to you as a song. Uh, truth be told, I love these, uh, these holiday Sunday weekends. Uh, hopefully we can kind of like get like even more relaxed. I mean, we try to be a relaxed service congregation, but you know, even more I said this a couple weeks ago, we don't have recliners, we're sorry about that, we try to make you as comfortable as, as possible, thanks Neil, always love his laugh. Now, we do have coffee, anybody need a refill? No, I mean seriously, Dot, you want to go get the coffee? I mean seriously, bring, anybody need a re- seriously, anybody need a refill? Okay, everybody's good then. I actually need a refill, Dot, come on up. Can you get that crap? No? Lynn says no. Get it anyway. Anyway, alright, so... First Samuel 28, uh, talk to y'all a little bit today. The last three Sundays, there were some important sermons. If you weren't here, I'd love for you 
If you're a member, I hope you'll listen to all three on podcast. We talked about pillars of the church and pillars not of anybody's opinion, but pillars of uh, the Lord's work and what we see in the Bible. And the question that I always spoke about before each pillar was, what holds us together? And the Lord put that question on my mind and heart this summer. Like, what as a church like holds us together? Uh, and I've thought about that in churches I've been a part of growing up and been a part of before being a pastor and, and this church. And what holds a people together? Uh, often it's, it's friends. Often it's a shared past. Often it is, uh, uh, it's just a sense of place. Uh, you know, Eudora Welty said uh, the greatest thing for maybe a Mississippian or a Southern is a sense of place. So rooted to the land. And, and I believe all those are important, yet we want to be united in a higher vision. So we talked about see a big God. We talked about love the other person. And we talked about going to the world. And you combine those first three words, and it's see, love, go. And so my hope is that we get this sense more and more in our individual and church DNA to see, love, go. And a part of that is seeing a big God. And so I do hope and pray uh, for as long as I'm pastor and beyond that this church, and really all churches, are united in, in God's Word, in seeing a big God in God's Word. I mean, one of the passions of my life is presenting or preaching or teaching God's Word and also studying it and learning it as, as I grow year to year and seeing a big God in the midst of it, old and new, together, and then applying that for our time and place and culture today. So we want to be united in God's Word. And one of the big ways, and I think it's a great way, that we can be united and held together by God's Word is if we're reading the same Bible passages day in and day out. Okay? Now, we do this, and we call it our Rise with God Bible reading plan. It's very simple. It's on our website. uh, It's on our church app. There should be a sheet at the table in the foyer, and it's one Old Testament chapter, one New Testament chapter every day, Uh, I know several people are reading this. I I hope that that will grow uh, over this year, our remaining time, and next year, because it's actually a two-year plan where you read the Old Testament once, New Testament twice, Psalms twice. And we're just reading the same thing. I I mean, I I believe that the Holy Spirit supernaturally works and that we have a a unity in God's Word through that. So I, I would ask, I would... Pray that you would pick up a copy or look on the church website. Start using it as your quiet time. Your ri- I call it my rise with God time. And then every so often, I will take a Sunday and I'll preach from what we read or will read uh, today. And this is one of those Sundays. So I call it a, a rise with God Sunday. Simply, you know, it's, it's by random. I don't know, you know what's coming, but I'll choose the scripture for that day. And I believe God will speak to us. Through that. So today it is 1 Samuel 28 and it is 1 Corinthians 9. So actually, you don't have to do your Rise with God reading today. You just came to church, you know, so you're good. Anyway, 1 Samuel 28. And, you know, it is interesting because I landed on this chapter. I told Neil, I actually told our, our radical small group this past Thursday. This is one of the only times, I think it may be the only time in the Bible where you have a, a spirit, like, come back from the dead, what we might call in present culture a ghost. It's the story of Saul going to a medium, 
So like, you know, Ouija board, all that kind of stuff that certain folks are fascinated with and calling up the, the spirit or the ghost, I'll use that word, of Samuel. So it's actually really, it's kind of creepy, uh, spooky, but this is what we landed on, so we're going to deal with it today. And then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9 too. But the main point that I would have to share today is fear, faith, and freedom. Those three words, fear, faith, and freedom. So, question I would ask all of us, where do we turn when we have fear? Where do we turn when we are afraid? And then the second question that we'll get into, do we know what we have in Jesus? Where do we turn when we're afraid? Do you know what you have in Jesus? 1 Samuel 28, I'm going to start with verse 3, and I'm going to read through Verse 19. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground And paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then last verse, verse 20. Then Saul fell full... Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. 
and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. All right, stop there. So, again, like, you don't get this much in the Bible that a medium calls up a spirit. So it's actually in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. What does all this say to us? First thing it says is, I mean, the straight-up fear of Saul. Over and over again, it's saying he was afraid. Verse 5, he was afraid. His heart trembled greatly. Verse 8, Saul disguised himself. He did not want to be open. Instead, he was afraid people would see him. He disguised himself. He was caught up with this fear. Now, you might ask, why was he afraid? Well, when you continually disobey God over and over again, at a point, and I believe whether you're in David's time or today, you continually disobey the Lord. There's a point, as they say, you've got to, like, pay the piper. There's a price. There's a cost to disobeying. And here for Saul, things are not going well. The next day he will die. The kingdom will fully be out of his hands and, and given to David. So he's afraid. Where does he go? He goes to, you could call it now, things of the Spirit. Because, you know, you can have spiritual things today and it not be Christian. Uh, he goes to uh, the past, Samuel. He does not go to the Lord. But he also says the Lord, you know, will not respond, will not listen because of his disobedience. Now, I've asked while reading this, like, and, and many people and many people smarter than me have asked, you know, why is this passage even in the Bible? Because it's just, again, weird. You know, is Samuel a ghost? People have asked, is that really Samuel? Uh, most folks who are, again, much smarter than me, biblical scholars, do believe that it is Samuel. Uh, do believe uh, that because of what he said aligned with the things that Samuel said in his life. But most folks believe that this passage is in the Bible is to show a contrast, okay, because David at this point, and I can't get into the scripture for time, but if you are reading Rise of God, David at this point is with the Philistines, and so he's essentially like marooned, not marooned in white, okay, marooned like he's stranded with the Philistines, and, you know, he, he doesn't know what to do, and the Philistines are about to fight Israel, and so he's in the midst of the Philistine army, and who does David go to in all this time? He turns to the Lord. He obeys God. He could, think about it, he could be fiercely afraid. So he's in the middle of enemies. He's encamped with them. Again, if you're reading the Rise of God plan. And this shows a contrast between David and Saul. And for Saul, th everything's hitting the fan too. And he goes and consults a spiritist. Okay? Now this is, and let me just be clear on this, totally uh, wrong. So anything like Ouija boards, anything of, of the occult, uh, not good. You know, we... Um, we have some family land, and we have a cabin on that land. And uh, several, several years ago, 20 years ago, it, it just we didn't use it a lot. It got torn down. And, but people were sneaking into that land. And I remember coming in as a kid. And, like, supposedly there were, like, seances there because there was upside-down triangle. And you're not going to be, like, freaky and, and freak you out. Now, as Christians, we have nothing to fear. Let me be very clear about this. Uh, some of the, the uh, darkest times in my life, that I have walked through very, very dark places. One was with Roger Wirtz right there. We were going through the red light district of Calcutta, which the red light district of Calcutta is, is pretty different from, like, say, the red light district of Amsterdam. 
So I walked through that too as, as a college student, and it was at least, you know, like first world stuff. Still pretty dark, but first, uh, the red light district of Calcutta is um, it's pretty bad. And Roger, nod your head. It's a pretty dark place, right? Yep. And, but a lot of, just, just a lot of explicit sin, darkness. But we talked about, and Roger and I have talked since, I mean, the light of Christ going to dark places. What does darkness make the light do? What does darkness make the light do? What is it? Huh? What? It shine brighter. Yeah. It's just, you just see, you see it more. So I, I say this to say this is all wrong. I want to put a verse up on screen. First Chronicles 10.13. Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium. So the chronicler throws that in there that this was bad stuff. But it does show that Saul's fear led him to this, and and God took the kingdom away from him. Now then, I I do want to bring up one other thing, and that's for us. Like, we, we see this, and we would be like, I mean, we would never consult, you know, that darkness. I mean, we'd never consult a medium. We'd never get into things like that. First thing I would say, like sin's a slippery slope, okay? Sin is a slippery slope. And, and there are people that I've known in my life that, that they start you know, baby steps, and then they end up far from Christ. Uh, they end up, you know, thinking, well, all roads lead to one place type deal. Uh, they lead to, you know, the, the idea of the Spirit, which, by the way, India is a very spiritual place. You know, it's like everybody's a spirit. You're, you're a spirit, you know, that... that Tables of spirit, you know, everything, you know, Hinduism is, is that, that way. And I have seen it's a slippery slope. So never say, oh, I couldn't do that. But then also, all of us are afraid. And, and if you can't, I'll say, I, I have fear in my life, okay? The question is, what do, what do we do with it? And one of the original questions I ask is, where do you turn when you're afraid? Where do, you, where do you go? And this, there is a contrast between David and Saul. And so for us, for many folks, when you're afraid, you go to, uh, let's, let's talk explicit sins. You're afraid, you go to alcohol. Alcohol, it makes you talk more. I mean, I know, okay? Alcohol, it makes you, you know, more sociable, more fun, okay? Alcohol, peer pressure, that's one. Uh, drugs, another explicit uh, sin. Sex. Like, I'm afraid, so I I need to uh, do things that are contrary to what the Lord would say. And, but, but if I have this person and, you know, we're, we're intimate, then, then, then I feel, I feel secure. And by the way, that's not just women who believe that, that's men too. When you're afraid, where do you turn? Uh, Often it's a a turn to uh, gossip, even. As in, like, you know, I want to be, uh, I want to be in with these folks. I want to be in with this crowd. Uh, so I have information. So I know that will create a relationship, a friendship. You know, an idol, the best definition I've ever heard of an idol is a good thing that, become, that can become an ultimate thing. So often we'll even turn, when we're afraid, look, family's a wonderful thing. But we can turn to them as our, our savior. 
and a spouse or a child or a friend cannot be our Savior. We only have one Savior, Jesus. Where do we turn when we are afraid? Uh, there is this, uh, there's this great, I don't know, saying or phrase, do you fear man or do you fear God? Okay. better way of putting it is do you want man's approval or do you want God's approval? Do you worry about how you're perceived more by men and women or do you worry about how you're perceived by God? Uh, I love this, and yeah, I use it in my own life. And here, you know, in the Bible we see Saul wanted men's approval, or he feared man more than he feared God all through his life. David feared God much more than he feared man. He sought the approval of God before the approval of man. And this, uh, this reminds me, this passage of one verse, John 5, 14. Put this one up here. John 5, 14, look at this. this Jesus was healing a, uh, a paralyzed man, and he says, check this out. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. If you read John 5, he just healed a paralyzed man who was around, people say, 28 years old, biblical scholars. What could be worse than being paralyzed for 28 years? You track it with me? Nothing worse may happen to you. Fear God or fear man. I mean, when we believe that we'll all stand before God and give an account, there's a, what's that line in Amazing Grace? For grace has taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relief. It's interesting. It's relief fears, but grace taught my heart to fear. You can fear God over fearing man. And it, if, you, if you fear God over fear man, it changes your life, Period. You will do things you never thought, never dreamed. If you're more concerned about how God perceives you than how people perceive you, life change right there. Okay? Now, let's do one more contrast and go into the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, because here is a Christian. Christ has come. This is Paul writing. It's actually, uh, it's been one of my favorite passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm going to read verse 19, excuse me, through 27. Talked about fear, but here we're looking at faith and freedom, okay? And there is this big contrast also between what we've seen in Saul and now what we have in Paul, which is interesting, you know, Paul was Saul too. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians 9 through 27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Stop there. Paul uses a... uh, a couple things, an interesting metaphor, that of being an athlete as well. He's speaking, writing to people in Corinth, which is in Greece. 
the Olympic Games were started in Greece, and the ancient Olympic Games were going on now. So he uses this metaphor of an athlete. But Paul is talking about both faith and freedom. And he's saying that, that we, in Christ, we have this freedom. We're not saved by our works. Uh, we can be who God made us to be. Uh, we, can, we can live in joy. We can discover our gifts, use our gifts. And at, at the same time, uh, nothing we do saves us but faith. And faith leads to freedom. And he, here he says, like, he's trying to win people to Christ. I, I said it the last three Sundays. You know, my MO for life. Whether you're here, whether you're in Jackson, Mississippi, whether you're in Mississippi, there's a state, whether you're around the world. My MO, my reason for being is to do everything I can with the gifts God's given me. And he's at least given me one because all Christians have at least one gift. With all the time that he's given me to Christianize the world, period. To show people that we don't have to fear and we have freedom in the faith of Christ. And so here Paul is saying, look, I'm free. He says, you know, I can do these things, but he says his goal is to win people to Christ. He says, to the weak, I became weak. He's trying to empathize with people, to connect with people. He's saying, I become all things to all people that by all means, I might save some. And even Paul said, I'm not going to save everybody, but I'll save some. And then he says, I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is... Really, the gospel is like so much. I always use a metaphor for the gospel as it's this beautiful, huge diamond. And you can kind of come in it in certain angles. We've come in it in multiple angles just today, uh, whether you realize it or not. Uh, one is the worship of God. One is that last song we said, you know, you know, you are victorious. Death cannot hold you. So there's the resurrection. There's, there's community that we've already experienced. There is uh, no fear. And a big part of the gospel is faith, is you're saved through faith, through believing. And I really want to focus on these last couple verses real quick because he uses this he uses the example of an athlete. And he says, we run to obtain an imperishable wreath. That in the Olympics today, in the Olympics in ancient Greece, they ran, they competed for a perishable wreath or a perishable gold medal in today's time, or silver or bronze, whatever it is. And I love the Olympics. But it is perishable. And Paul is here saying that we're running, we're training, we're disciplining ourselves for something that is imperishable. And so I thought about this as an, not that I'm an athlete, but for athletes, how you train your body and you have faith, you have faith first off as Christians in this imperishable wreath, but as an athlete... You train because you have faith that in the moment, your body will respond. You know what I'm saying? Like, for example, you train, you work, you discipline. I mean, anybody here play college sports? I'm curious. Okay, so some college sports, high school, high school, right? Okay, a lot of high school. So we have uh, trained, whether it's basketball, you shoot, you shoot, you shoot. I have an uncle who actually played in the NBA. I have a grandfather who played in the NBA. I did not get their height. I did not get their jump shot. But I, every time I go to my grandmother's, there's the old, it's straight out of Hoosiers, there's an old wooden backboard that my uncle, he would, you know, dirt court, and he would shoot and shoot away. So at the moment, he would respond. Okay? My point is there, there is this faith that you have in continuing to discipline your body 
So the moment comes, your muscles will freely act. There's a fascinating thing about baseball. I mean, I'm a baseball guy. I love baseball. And I've thought about this too. You know, you work out. Uh, you hit, oh, excuse me, but you hit over and over again. You hit, you, you train those muscles so that in the moment, and, and all these hitting coaches, and I'm, I'm not a hitting coach, but they say the moment when that pitch is thrown, they say do not tighten up. Like don't tighten up. Free your muscles, they'll say. Free your body. And what's fascinating to me is even though you train and train and train, in, in that freedom, that's when your wrists are quicker, that's when um, it's like your muscles can work better. My point is, like here, you've got to train yourself for the gospel because there are going to be moments when God's going to call you to play. God's going to call you to play ball. Here's what I mean, okay? Rise with God, Bible reading time. You've got to have that because there's going to be a moment when you're in the game, okay? Uh, church, being part of a church. And when I say being part of a church, I don't mean coming two or three times a month, Okay? Hear some chuckles. We'll hear that again next week. But being part of a church, being knitted together, because a moment will come, maybe it's in, with your family, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's with a parent, maybe it's with a grandparent, where you're going to need that community and need to be knit close, okay? That's a discipline. Reading the Bible is a discipline. Now, I believe small group is a discipline. I believe a, a mission, a, a heart for a city, a community is a mission. These things, we are training ourselves so that moments come over and over again and our, our faith freely responds. Okay? So it doesn't just happen like by osmosis. There has to be, and Paul says there has to be, he says, I discipline my body. It's like we discipline our faith. We're saved by faith. That's just one point of that, that gospel, that diamond. But then there are, you know, the word discipline and disciple, same root word. You know? So we want to grow in discipleship. When the moment comes, when the pitch is thrown, you know, when we got the ball to take that shot, we've trained over and over again that there's a free, we can freely respond. Now, last story I would say, and this is about freedom. You know, my grandparents and my parents' generation, uh, y'all could, y'all may agree with this or you may not. The, the highest, uh, the, the end goal in life, and my parents too, is to be good be a good person. Uh, my generation, and I was known, I guess, I think it was Generation X, and now there's Y and Z. But the goal in these generations is to be free. Okay? Parents, grandparents are like, be a you know, good person. You know, traditional values and all that. Now, from, you know, when I was growing up in college, and then now, it's to be free. I want to I have freedom to choose what I want to do, who I want to marry, how I want to live my life. You can't tell me. You know, preacher man, you can't tell me, you know, what to do or to come to church or how much to give or what, you know, you can't. I'm free. That's the big, that's the big value of these generations. And I would just say this in closing, you know, when, you know, when Paul writes about this, he says he has freedom in Christ. Outside of Christ, no one is ever free. You're in bondage to something. Maybe it's an idol. It could be money. It could be career. It could be a person. It could be, you know, a way to live that all these magazines promote. You know, we go through the, you know, from people to, like, travel magazines to, like, this is the beautiful life. You're in bondage to that. No one's ever free 
except for Christ. Because the great statement, the, the line of evil uh, runs through every human heart. That every human heart has this capacity uh, for darkness. Back in 1 Samuel 28, and I would, be say, I would say guilty as charged. And I want to use this example yesterday, okay? So I'm up in my hometown in New Albany. I go for this, uh, this run. I'm jogging. And New Albany has created this, this great rails-to-trails deal to Houston, Mississippi. So up north Mississippi, you know, we're kind of, we're hillbillies up there. But this rails-to-trails, it's 44 miles. So I didn't, definitely didn't run 44, like Jimmy House, or, or even, you know, 10. Or, you know, but I ran, you know, a couple miles on this rails-to-trails. It's pretty nice weather. And I took off my key for my key ring, okay? Because I have this, I, Linda's like, I mean, how many keys you got? I mean, I got like 50 keys, and I, I know, you know, what one of them does. You know, the other 49, I was like, I don't know what they're in. But anyway, I took off my car key, and I held it. And then I my, had this hat, and it was making my head hot, so I took off the hat, and I put the, the key, and I was holding the hat together like this, so I was running, you know, running and running and running. I got to where I was turning around. And then I see several, I'm going to be real honest here, okay? So, line of evil runs through every human heart. So then I'm coming back, and, and I see four or five uh, Hispanic people on their bike coming towards me. And, and I was like, Mom, man, you know, here, here come some Mexicans. In my heart, okay? That's what I said. Here come some Hispanics. And it was like, I think there were five. So they were biking. That's my thought, okay? That was, that's, you know, I don't, wanna, I don't want my thoughts up on that screen, but I'm giving you all a little bit of it today. And then the last one, he, I saw he held up his hand. And the brother had a key in his hand. And I dropped my key. I mean... Hallelujah, Jesus saves me. And so, you know, I was like, got it, and turned around. Thank you. And I said to myself, you know, I was like, that'll preach. <laughs> you remember that story? I mean, I'd love for you to remember 1 Samuel 28, 1 Corinthians 9, but I also know the human heart. I'm not free except by Jesus. I'm bound by, I am bound by sin. I, I'm going to talk about this next week. I have cancer because I'm saved. It's in remission it's in remission but the cancer's still there it'll be fully gone one day so my point in all this we're going to take communion we all have fear okay i was afraid that moment i was like there's the and hispanics is a nice term mexican's a nice term i'm not going to use the other word that came to mind okay you know what's going to happen only in jesus faith in him leads to a true freedom and so every Sunday, we invite you to take communion. I'm going to pray over, over us now before we come up. But if those who are helping me serve, y'all come on up now. Let's go ahead and get ready. Prepare the Lord's table. It is an invitation to respond in faith. So whether you know this or not, I mean, this is, this is an invitation that you say, man, I've, I've been afraid. I don't want to be afraid anymore. It's very simple. Faith, that's a starting point, and it will lead to freedom together. So I invite you to come to the Lord in faith. He's the only one that will give freedom. Cast your fears and your burdens on him. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come and repent in the family 
of God. Thank you that you are here. I pray that for those who are saved, that they would discipline themselves to be free when the moments come and respond. Uh, those of us who are not, because I do believe there are those who are not saved here, would find that it's very simple. It's to believe in Jesus to say, I can't save myself. I'm in bondage to sin. The line of evil runs through my heart. I need you, Jesus, and you've done all the work. Thank you that you've done it. In your name we pray, amen.